Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 363, you've heard Joe say not to make your trust the beneficiary of your retirement accounts. Today, he'll explain why. Plus, are withdrawal restrictions and required minimum distributions good reasons to transfer out of the Thrift Savings Plan, or TSP, at retirement? Big Al explains how Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT, works, and the fellows discuss strategies for health savings accounts, or HSA, contributions, and restricted stock units, or RSUs. HSA, AMT, TSP, RSU, it's a nice healthy acronym salad to celebrate Joe's recovery from COVID. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send in your money questions as an email or a priority voice message. We'll kick it off with how to handle stock acquisition of a company you hold in your retirement account. I'm producer Andy Last with the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Welcome back, Al. We took a couple of week hiatus. We did. Happy holidays, all, all that stuff. And I The was holidays in, are done and over. I, I know. And I was in Maui after that, volunteering at the Kapalua Golf Tournament, which is awesome. Yeah. Loved it. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll do it next year. Yeah. I was in a basement in Arkansas. I know you were. With COVID. Yeah, you were. <laughs> great times. You're good now, right? Great holidays. Because we're a little, I guess we're six feet apart. Yeah. I'm totally fine. Negative. Okay. Yeah. This thing lingers, though. That, yeah. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I feel fine. It's yeah. Just, a little lingering. Yeah, right. So I'm gonna have a really cool radio voice. <laughs> this is what we've been dreaming about. Exactly. Nice and yeah. deep and snotty. <laughs> Just what you need. Really needed COVID to take me <laughs> over the edge. Okay, this will be our best show ever then. Um, Andy, um, let's see. What do we got on deck here? There we go. Hello, Al, Andy, and Joe. Happy holidays. This is Hubby and me from Tennessee. I have a question about a stock acquisition that's in my IRA. I own stock in Company A, and it's held in my IRA account with Fidelity. The acquisition of Company A is in negotiation with Company B, expecting to occur in 2022. Company B intends to make a tender offer for $95 per share for Company A, which has been trading around $80 per share. Company B wants outstanding shares for Company A to be retired. How do I handle this? How do I make sure I get contacted by Fidelity about this tender offer. I should get the company B share equivalent of 21%, assuming the exchange at 95 goes from what it's currently trading at. Since this is in my IRA, there should be no taxable impact until I sell the new company B stock, and then the money will be received and taxed as ordinary income. Please advise and confirm. And as always, thanks again for your help owning two rescue mutts and driving a 2018 Santa Fe. Santa Fe. Yeah. Hubby and me from Tennessee. It's a nice rhyme, isn't it? Yeah. Sid has actually uh, emailed us multiple times before, and this is the first time that she's called in. And one time she actually said, Hubby and me from Tennessee, and you just, you ran with it, Joe. That, that became her name. So she stuck with it. Okay. Thanks for reminding us. Sure. Very good. Um. So company A is buying company B. That happens all the time. So this would be an acquisition by company A buying company B. And it would be common, right, in a, in a public company to for company A to have to offer more than the current share price. That's how they get the whole company to, to be able to do this. So it's um, actually, I think the good news is it, this will all be handled. You'll get the paperwork being the owner of the IRA. You'll sign the paperwork. Fidelity will get what they need because it'll it'll happen naturally. I mean, company. I mean, I mean, these are 
public companies. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, w- w- you would think so, right? right. That's, it's at, it's held at Fidelity. I yeah, want... it ha- it would have to be a public company. So I I think as long as you sign the paperwork that you get from company B to buy out company A, it should happen automatically in your IRA. I think I, I don't think there's anything more you have to do. Right. I wouldn't overthink it. Yeah. Um, I would just keep an eye on it. You know, when, whenever the, the transaction happens, yeah. the com- company B is not going to want any company A shares outstanding. So they'll track it down where, wherever it's located. Yeah. Right. You'll have to send them the statements. They'll know it's in your IRA. So I, I think it's uh, you just, you, whatever paperwork you get to sign and whatever they ask you, like statements, whatever, you know, send it to them and that should happen naturally. Um, very good. Let's see who's, um, who's next. Hey, Andy, Joe, and Big Al. Thanks for taking my call. This is Fish Sean Wu from Winter Springs, Florida. And I had a question about traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, and 401ks, and why it is not a good idea to leave your trust as a beneficiary. I recently set up a trust, and before listening to you guys, I had the trust as a beneficiary. I was hoping you guys could explain why this is a bad idea. Now for the important part. I drive a 2013 Toyota Tundra pickup truck that has never met a gas station it does not like. I don't have any four-legged friends, or three-legged for that matter, but I do have 25 African cichlids in a 75-gallon fish tank. Thanks for taking my call. Great show. Fish Sean Wu. Yeah. I mean, we have the coolest (laughs) listeners in the world. So the, the reason why... It's a bad idea to name the trust the beneficiary of a retirement account is because most people do not have the appropriate trust set up. Sure. And secondly, now with the elimination of the stretch IRA, um, it doesn't really protect the, 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 the monies, you know, because everything has to be distributed out in 10 years. So a few things. Here's the rules. If you name a trust a beneficiary of a retirement account, there's basically a few things that have to happen. Because a trust is an entity, it doesn't have life expectancy. So let's say that Fish Sean Wu names his children or grandchildren or nephews, nieces, friends, or whatever. They have to be identifiable. They have to be people as the beneficiary. And but he also has, you know, maybe 5% of the beneficiary of his trust to, you know, the African, you know, fish society. <laughs> so yeah, that could be, because, so that, that messes it up. It messes it up because every beneficiary needs to be identifiable in prior to the secure act that eliminated the stretch IRA, you could stretch out the life expectancy, uh, or you could stretch the tax out of a retirement account over the life expectancy of the beneficiary. And, you know, people would set up subset trust because they would take the life expectancy of the oldest beneficiary and then they would go into smaller trust and things like that. The Supreme Court a few years ago also identified retirement accounts that are a beneficiary account um, would be subject to bankruptcy and things like that because it wasn't re- it was the deceased's property. It's not the beneficiary's property. So people would want to set up a trust there to protect it against certain creditors and things like that. So if you set up a trust appropriately, it made a lot of sense, but it had to be a see-through or look-through trust. So it'd have to look through the the, the trust itself and look at the beneficiaries and identify the people that are the beneficiaries of the trust. So to recap, all beneficiaries need to be people. Otherwise, it screws this whole thing up. Correct. Second is that 
you know, it's got to be a legal document, no big deal. Third is that there's a delivery requirement. So the trust documents need to go to your custodian, such as like Fidelity or Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. Um, and so, so there's issues there um, because it, it, it's an entity. It's not a person. So before you would just name a person and the stretch IRA would automatically happen. And sounds, you know, everything would, would be fine. The trust would kind of blow up the stretch. Now with the elimination of the stretch, so people are naming trust. So then I could get really in the weeds here, depending on if it's a discretionary trust, if you're going to hold cash in trust or, or not. The, the short answer is here, Fish Sean Wu, is that if you want to control the money from the grave, then you would want to set up a trust. So you don't trust your beneficiaries. You're like, all right, Big Al, you're my beneficiary. I don't trust you with the money. Yeah, you're so, gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to spend it all in the first year. Correct. So I'm going to hold it in trust, and I'm right. going to just give you a couple of bucks each year. Right. So that's the only reason why you would want to set up a trust today to hold that. But the problem with that strategy is that you're holding the money in trust and distributing it out, let's say, over 30 years. But because of the elimination of the stretch IRA, all of the money gets out of the retirement account within 10 years. Right. But it's still held in trust. And now you're going to be taxed at trust rates if you hold it in trust, which the top rate of 39.6 is somewhere of $11,000 of income. Yeah, 37%. But it, or, it, yeah, 37. But it, but it hits, yeah, 12, 13,000 of income. So it basically has higher tax rates. And, uh, and, you know, in some ways you could say with the eliminated the stretch, maybe it doesn't matter as much, but you you hit the, the nail on the head, head on the nail, <laughs> one of the two, is the trust tax rates. If you're going to hold these, these RMDs in the trust, they're going to be at a much higher tax rate. So Fish Sham will, what I want you to do is that if you do not want to control the money from the grave, right? but you're naming the, the, the beneficiary, the trust, just to make it easier on your beneficiaries. It's not making it easier. Name people, name your spouse, name your kids, name your grandkids, and make that on the beneficiary form. If you want to control the money from the grave, that you don't trust your beneficiaries, that you want to distribute the money out, then it gets more complex. Write us back or give us another you know, a question and say, hey, I, I don't trust my beneficiaries. Give me some options of what I can do to control the money after I'm gone that's sitting in a retirement account. Make things as easy and straightforward as possible for your beneficiaries. Give your loved ones a document that contains everything they need to know about your life, your accounts, and your estate in the event of your passing. Download our blank estate plan organizer from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Fill out everything from your financial account details and insurance policies to your contacts and your final wishes. Put it in a safe place and give a copy to your family. Don't forget to update it regularly. To get your free estate plan organizer, just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app, and you'll see it right there under free resources just before the transcript of today's episode. Hey, Joe and Big Al, this is Cass from Mississippi, a driver, Chevy Equinox, 2013. I, uh, well, people say what they drink too. Ah, oh, Coke is it. That's it. And I have two Toy Fox Terriers named Boss and Smash, and they are, they are tiny and tough. So, you know, if anybody breaks into my house, hey, be ready. 
So my question is about the TSP. There's two reasons that I think I should transfer out of the TSP once I retire in 10 years. So that gives you guys plenty of time to answer this question. One is when you withdraw funds, you don't have the choice of withdrawing from just the bond fund. And that was kind of my plan to help, you know, stay rebalanced over the years. But you have to withdraw in equal increments from all the funds. And I'm wondering, is there some kind of workaround for this that I don't know about? Or is it not terrible? Because I don't understand how that's good. But this is the great TSP. So, you know, I don't want to give up on it. And the other thing is with like a regular Roth in my Vanguard, I know I'm not going to have to take RMDs from that. But the TSP Roth, you do have to take RMDs. So another thing I'm not crazy about, do you think these two reasons are big enough reasons to transfer out of the TSP after I retire? I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it and see what you think. I appreciate all your help and your good advice, and the podcast is great. I love it. Stay cool. Cass, kind of gave me goosebumps. <laughs> That's a great accent, isn't right? it? Wouldn't yeah. it be fun to talk like this? Stay cool. Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> Cass. How you doing? I want to meet boss and smash. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, oh, TSPs. So the, pros thrift, and cons. the thrift savings plan, um, which is a government plan. Uh, they have a few options. And, 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 pe- and people like those plans. What, what, why do they like them? I mean, they're very low cost. Yeah. I mean, it's totally diversified. They're, you know, you can have a small cap index fund and S&P and international. Right? Sure. So uh, the TSP is a great plan, uh, very inexpensive, and it kind of does a trick in regards to global diver- diversification without the complexity of you yeah, know, a thousand different funds. Kind of on autopilot in a way. Sure, depending on what you want. And then they have you know target date funds. And yeah, so right. On. I mean, you have to pick your investments. I get that. So, all right, let's talk about the Roth 401k or Roth TSP first. So if you have a Roth IRA, there is no required minimum distribution. If you have a Roth 401k and TSP basically falls into the 401k family, that Cass is right. She has to take a required minimum distribution from that account. She can roll the Roth into a Roth IRA, and then that avoids the RMD altogether. So you can take the TSP part and roll that Roth and roll that to a Roth IRA, but you could leave the other part? I don't think so. You have to do, all, it's all or nothing? I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, as you can tell, we are super prepared. <laughs> we're tight, we're tight super on this. Super tight one. on this. <laughs> um, but that's an easy, that's an yeah, easy you can, fix. You can find out. If, if that's possible, then that's an easy answer on that it, one. It, right. And um, usually we would just roll everything. Yeah, right. right? Um, however, if, if that's the case, you definitely want to get the, the Roth into a Roth IRA yep. uh, that avoids the RMD, you don't, if you, especially if you don't need the money or, yeah. or you want to control your distributions. Right. Um, in regards to her taking money from just the bond fund, I believe they changed the TSP rules recently over the last few years because she's right. That was you could take one distribution from the TSP account per year. And when you did take the, the distribution, it needed to be pro rata. Yeah, meaning an equal amount from each share or, or relative portion from each share, depending upon what you own. Correct. Instead of picking and choosing on how you... I mean, th- there's a reason why this plan is dirt cheap. Right. It's simple. 
and, and, it's, and it's kind of on autopilot for most people that don't really understand all this. Right. Stuff. And, and there's not a ton of people that are, you know, working and the, the administration behind this. Right. And saying, oh, you you just want to take from the bond fund? No problem. We'll just give it for, you right. know, uh, but everything is now getting automated online. And so that should solve this problem. And I believe it did um, a few years ago when they did change some of the rules um, again. Um, I did not do any type of research or um, prepara- uh, pre- preparation uh, for this show today. So I do not have concrete, <laughs> concrete answers, but I, well, let's and we're not giving advice anyway. We're, no, just, we're, we're, you know, chatting, we're just chatting, right? we're just talking about, you know, good old TSP. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, yes, that's what I've always heard too. The TSP, um, uh, it's inexpensive. They're good fa- funds. They're globally diversified. They're inexpensive. You can get good funds outside of a TSP that are very inexpensive nowadays with ETFs and index type funds. So you, you can do roughly same, same. I think if you, if you, to me, if you, if you are interested more in self-directing and deciding Roth, you know, well, first of all, you, I mean, you, you can go to Vanguard and Vanguard cost is a little bit more expensive than the TSP. Not much. Though. Not much. Yeah. I mean, we're talking depends on how much money that Cass has. Yeah. Now, let's say she has a million bucks. It might cost her a few hundred dollars more. a year. Yeah, it's not significant. If you want to self-direct, then pull the money out, roll it into an IRA and a Roth IRA, and then you can pick which funds you want to you want to sell to get the money out for your um, RMD. If, if, if you don't care, if you want to be on autopilot, just stick with the TSP. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, I don't know why you're saying autopilot because, because then you have to worry about which funds to sell. Right. Cause it's just going to be an equal portion. Oh God. That's what I mean. But that's, that's, that's a bad autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just saying, I mean, a lot of people don't want, don't care about this stuff. Right. But, but I mean, you don't, you don't want to sell pro rata. That's why I don't like target deep funds. No, I, I, I understand your answer. I'm just saying for, 19, yeah, not for our listeners, but the 19 out of the other 20 people that don't listen to our show, they probably don't even care. They'll just, it, it's easier. Simple. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot easier. But if a market is down 20%, yeah. you want to sell from the bonds, not the stocks, of or if the stocks are up 20%, you want to sell but, from the stocks. But there is a so. quick workaround, which is if you have to sell pro rata, then just if you want to buy more stocks, then sell some of your bonds that are left to buy more stocks. You can, you can rebalance that way. Cindy writes in. I guess we ignored Cindy for quite some time, Alan. We did. Okay. Well, let's get to it then. All right. Um, I guess we sometimes we don't get your emails, folks. So yeah, there was a couple of weeks there where we didn't get any, right? I don't know where they go. Then they get all upset saying, Hey, I guess I sometimes we have problems with the form on the website and it doesn't work. Or sometimes people have problems actually getting the form to submit properly. And so then I get calls from people saying, Hey, have you gotten a call from me or an email from me? And then I just tell them, you know what, just email me directly. That way I can make sure it gets on the, sh- on the show. So that's what we did in this case. Got it. Okay. Says, hello, Joel. Uh, wow. I can't even say my own name. <laughs> Wait, did you say Joel? I don't know what the hell I said. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, hello, Joe, Alan, Andy. I really enjoy your TV and radio programs and appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge in such fun and entertaining way. I have a tax question regarding AMT, uh, Alternative Minimum Tax. I tried contacting the IRS for an answer, but no help there. Uh, so for year 2013, I paid $25,000 in Alternative Minimum Tax due to exercising incentive stock options after a job loss. In subsequent years, my income did not require AMT payments and I received credits 
totaling 20,000 for the tax years 14 through 18. Due to being unemployed during 2014 and most of 2015, my income was very low, which made the EMT credits for 14 and 15 only 229 bucks and 733 respectively. The credits were higher for 2016 through 2018. However, the total credits received from 2014 through 2018 were $5,095 less than the $25,418 amount of the EMT paid for 2013. Amounts for the line 25 and 26 on Form 8801 for 2014 through 2018 are shown below. Uh, now I know why we probably ignored <laughs> that question. Kind of technical. <laughs> yeah, never received it. Sorry, Cindy. <laughs> uh, is, is there any way I can still get the remaining uh, 5095 back, or is it too late? So she's looking for yeah. um, an additional tax credit yeah, through right. AMT. So I, let me translate. All right. So. <laughs> Alternative minimum tax is a alternative way to calculate income taxes. It came about in the 1950s or 1960s when it was thought that certain wealthy individuals weren't paying their fair share of taxes. They were loading up on deductions, right? And so the IRS and our politicians came up with an alternative way of calculating taxes, similar but slightly different rules. And everybody, I don't care who you are, everyone has to calculate their taxes both ways and whichever is higher, that's the tax you pay. Now, most of us, many of us have never heard of it because our regular taxes are almost always higher than our, our alternative minimum taxes. But there are situations where it flips and the alternative minimum tax or AMT is higher than the regular tax. And, and that would be in Cindy's case because when you exercise incentive stock options, it's not considered regular income on your W-2, but it is considered an alternative minimum taxable income. So in other words, you have higher income for AMT purposes than regular purposes. Yeah, they look at it as income for AMT purposes, but not for right. regular and so taxes. Yeah, so as a, as a consequence, in, that, in this example, back in 2013, Cindy's AMT taxable income was way higher than her regular taxable income. That's why she owed the higher alternative minimum tax because she exercised stock options. Yeah. Yeah. And some companies give incentives. Some people give non-qualified right. so, um, on incentive. Right. So she exercised and it created a lot larger taxable income, but it was a lot larger taxable income on the Altman schedule, not necessarily her regular schedule. You got it. And so the way the tax forms work is you pay, you, you always pay the higher of the two, but the way the tax schedule works is you pay your regular tax and then you pay an extra tax for AMT. Even though you're, you're paying the AMT tax, it just shows up in two spots. So in her 2013, she paid an extra $25,000 of AMT tax. Okay. Now, because that's a, what's called a timing difference, in other words, when she actually then sells those, those shares later, she'll have a higher basis. So she'll have a lower gain for AMT purposes. And this whole thing will reverse, right? And so she'll get this money back or most of it, but not necessarily all of it. And here's why is because back in 2013, and Cindy may not have known this, but part of her, her AMT tax was because of 
state taxes and property taxes that she paid or miscellaneous itemized deductions that she paid that are not allowable for AMT purposes and are never allowable for AMT purposes. Therefore, it's not a timing difference. You never get a refund of that part of the AMT tax. So I, I don't have the tax. So the 25000 that she paid in alternative minimum tax, some of it was because of the incentive stock options. You got and it. Some of it was for other deductions. That's right. And so just round numbers, 25000 AMT tax, 20000 of that tax was because of the incentive stock options. 5000 was because of, call it state tax, property taxes, miscellaneous, whatever, right? So therefore, when she filed tax returns later, she got credits of $20,000. So she's wondering, wait a minute, I should get another $5,000 back. And unfortunately, Cindy, no, you got what you were entitled to because 5,000 of that tax was related to things that are, do not turn around, are not timing differences. So, so that's why. It's a great question. Probably lost a lot of our listeners, but <laughs> anyway, that's the answer. Yeah. You know, we can look at our stats <laughs> during this part of the program would go way down. <laughs> we, how we, many people tuned down? We, um, we had 20,000 downloads, but at that part, <laughs> everyone was just like disconnected. It was like three. We had Cindy and her mother. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. We got um, Ken from Vermont. I don't know. Where... Fremont. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or Vermont. I don't, I don't know. I was thinking like Vermont, but it's Fremont, Vermont. Okay. Fremont. Hey Fremont, California. As I began searching for useful retirement planning podcasts last year, I stumbled upon your money or wealth and have not looked back. All right, Ken. All right. From Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the stumbling could be related to the West Coast style IPAs I tend to favor. Ooh, Ooh, now that, okay, Ken, you and I are the same. Yeah. I appreciate the time you give to your listeners and the useful insights I gained from your show. I write a 2013 BMC Grand Fondue. Is that right? I think it's Fondo. Fondo. Yeah, that'd be my guess too. But... He rides. It's a motorcycle. <laughs> it also has a cheese thing <laughs> in the back. That's That's a fondue. Actually, it looks like it's a bicycle. No. Oh, really? So yeah. it's like. Like a road bike or uh, the BMC Grand Fondo. All right. Yeah, that's a pretty expensive um, road bike. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right. (laughs) My wife and I um, are both 62 and I plan to retire in 2023. She will retire in June 2023 and I will retire in December 2023, which leaves us up to 24 more months to contribute to our employer plans. We contribute a total of $2,700 per month to our retirement accounts, of which only 650, 24% goes into my Roth 457 plan. We're wondering if we should go all Roth contributions for the remaining time we are working and contribute to our 457 and 403B plans. About 20% of our $1.2 million retirement savings is in Roth. As we begin Retirement income from my CalPERS pension is approximately $65,000 a year. Our Social Security is an estimate $60,000 a year. And we will begin a few years later, ages 67 and 70. When we retire, we will begin withdrawing approximately $25,000 to $40,000 a year from our retirement accounts as a bridge to Medicare and Social Security. And to help fund our more active early years, 
pension and social security income will be taxed, would contributing a greater percentage to Roth accounts now be advantages and give us more growth or income options in retirement, even though we would be paying significantly more income in payroll taxes today? Thanks, Ken P. from Fremont, California. <laughs> or Fremont. <laughs> Whichever you choose. Um, okay, so yeah. so he's got a couple years. He's, he, you know... 20% of his $1.2 million, a couple hundred thousand dollars is in Roth. Okay. He's got an, a, a good pension of $65,000 plus his social security is going to cover most of his living expenses because he's going to take a bridge to spend a little bit of money from the 401k of 25 to $40,000 until uh, social security comes in um, to play as he's pushing social security out until 67 for his wife and 70 for him. Um, should he just load up on Roth and say, you know what? maybe pay the tax and um, start building a little bit more tax-free because only 20% of our overall portfolios in Roth. I mean, at the end of the day, let's say you go all Roth. Yeah. What's he going to have like 23% now in Roth? Well, it, it helps, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it still have a significant part in regular, but it's, you know, so that right now the 24% tax bracket goes to taxable income of about what? 320,000. So I'm assuming, I shouldn't assume, Ken, but let's just say your taxable income between you and your wife is, is less than that. I'd go, you know, I would go Roth because that's a good rate that that same bracket is going to be probably taxed at 25 to 28 to even higher with alternative minimum tax in 2026. So I think that would be a good way to go. I would not. Um, I would agree with you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Not disagree with I, you I, I knew you would say that because you always say go maximum Roth, but especially in this situation because a couple of years away from retirement we're in low brackets right now right so you look at the top it's three hundred forty thousand dollars to the top of the 24 oh there you go 340 yeah <laughs> excuse me um where the top of the 25 percent tax bracket is going to be let's say the tax rates change today where they're expected to change in a few years the top of the 25% tax bracket is at $180,000 yeah, of taxable right. income. And then you get to 28 and then, then you get potentially to alternative minimum tax, particularly if you live in California. So yeah, I, I would go Roth and I would also consider converting a little bit too. Yeah, actually that's not a bad call. Right. Um, because you're still young, you got a lot of years to grow. Or, or um, at the very least, do, do more conversions when you retire. If your fixed income is lower, which it probably will be, at least for a while, be, be without social security, do big conversions between, you know, retirement and social security or between retirement and RMD. Right. Because he's got this bridge year that he's taking, you know, twenty five to forty thousand dollars out to live off of before he right. takes social security because he's got the sixty four thousand dollar pension. I would look and say, hey, take the twenty five or forty thousand dollars out to live off of, but also probably convert to the top of maybe the twenty two percent tax bracket, yeah, which is more like one eighty taxable income, taxable right? income, so two two hundred five thousand gross income, something like that. So you could convert, let's call it, um, you, you you pull out your twenty five or forty thousand to live off of, and you could still convert maybe up to eighty to one hundred thousand yeah. dollars and still stay in that twenty two percent bracket. Yeah, I, I like that too. 
Having your retirement plans well-defined in advance can give you peace of mind, but the best plan for you and your family is highly individualized. It's entirely dependent on your current circumstances, your tolerance for risk, and your goals for retirement. If you don't have a financial plan, get one. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Get an Assessment to schedule a no-cost, no-obligation, one-on-one, personalized deep dive into your entire financial situation with an experienced professional on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. Learn the strategies to help you make the most of your retirement and to get that peace of mind. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click get an assessment now. We have uh, Tyler from New Jersey writes in. He goes, hey guys, first of all, I love the podcast. Tons of great information. I like that you don't take crap from people that send in crazy questions or leave nonsense reviews. Yeah, we just... Yeah, we don't roll, Joe makes roll. fun of them. <laughs> Crap from no one. <laughs> we do get some crazy questions. We do from time, and we try to answer them best we can. Yeah. Sometimes we make up, you know, what the missing things are, so we can answer them. Yeah. Then we just kind of make up our own questions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My question, this is Tyler's, is in regard to his HSA health savings account. On January first each year, I directly contribute my portion. Uh, which will be $27.50 for 2022 into my health savings account from my regular checking account. Then throughout the year, my employer contributes their portion, $75 a month, directly into my HSA uh, bank account, maxing out the employee-employer contributions under a self-only plan. Uh, Once the money hits HSA bank, I immediately transfer it to my HSA investment account at TD Ameritrade and put it to work in low-cost, diversified ETFs. I filed the IRS form 8889 to reduce my adjusted gross income uh, by the contribution amount. I know that if I instead had my contributions come out via payroll, I wouldn't have to pay the FICA tax on those contributions. In my head, the FICA tax, which is 7.65% of 2750 is about 200 in $6 of tax savings. On the other hand, if instead I invest that $27.50 right away on January 1st, I feel like my money can earn more than $206 of tax savings over the span of the entire year. Am I missing something in this equation uh, where uh, it would make more sense to do the contributions via payroll? Uh, Thanks for the feedback. All right, Tyler from Jersey. What do you think, Al? Uh, uh, no, Tyler, you're not missing anything. So first of all, I agree. If you, if you have your um, contributions through payroll, you don't have to pay the FICA tax on those contributions. So there is an advantage there, but the sooner you get the money invested, the sooner you have growth. If you have a 10% growth rate, that's what 270 bucks, right? If you have a 7.65% growth rate, it's the same number. My main answer was, is I don't really care. Yeah. Well, because you're big Al, you got a big wallet. (laughs) Because this is pennies, two hundred dollars. Because no, it's the di- yeah. it's the difference between the growth and two hundred six. It's probably twenty five bucks. I mean, that's yeah. half a half that's, a dinner, yeah, right? That's, I I don't I don't really care that much. Yeah. But I would. I, the the real answer is do what you want. It's not that big a difference. Oh, uh, all right. HSA. We got a couple minutes. Let's explain that health savings account for those of you that don't know what Tyler's doing. Uh, he has a high deductible insurance plan. And so what that means is that 
the premiums of the insurance is a lot lower. Sure. And so you're making up for the savings of premiums and you are allowed to put a certain amount of money into a pre-tax account that grows tax deferred in that you can pull the money out 100% tax free if you use it for qualified medical expenses. Sure. So, um, and, and it can, you don't have to use it that year. It can grow for decades. Right. So what he's doing is like, you know what? Um, I, I, I'm healthy. I don't think I'll need this. So he's taking the money and he's moving it like from a checking account directly into um, an investment account. Right. And so that investment account is growing tax deferred. Sure. And if you ever need some of that money, it's like an, an, another Roth option if it's used for medical expenses. Sure. Or over time, he can just convert that into another retirement account. Okay. It's even better than a Roth because you get the tax deduction and it's tax free. Yeah, it's if, a, if, the, if, the triple tax if threat. If you use it for medical. So, yeah, it's tr- um, you get the tax deduction, tax deferred, and tax free coming out. Um, if used for medical, but if he, if he doesn't use it for medical, he can just roll it into another, um, IRA sure. um, down the road. So, uh, check it out. If, if, if you have an HSA through your employer, it might be a, a decent option. Mike from DC writes in, he goes, Hey, Joe and Al love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, we will do so Mikey from DC. Well, we'll, we'll try, try. Yeah. I have RSUs vesting, uh, RSUs. Restricted share units, stock units. Thank you. <laughs> I guess that's the same thing. <laughs> it just sounded more better. Yeah, more, more better. More better. Got it. Um, so he's got some restricted stock units uh, vesting in May. And I've been told by everyone I speak to and read is to sell right away once they vest. I was planning to do so. Uh, but during my company's blackout period, where I'm not allowed to buy or sell, uh, the next open trading window would be about a month later. If I sold them then, it would be treated as short-term capital gains um, uh, that I uh, on the, any gains I accrue. My question is, should I sell regardless of the short-term capital gain on June 18th or hold the RSUs for a year to get long-term capital gain treatment? but potentially have more risk if stocks go up or down. Also, I participate in my company's ESPP. Uh, gets a 15% discount. I wanted to know your thoughts on if I should sell once I get them or keep it for two years to avoid high taxes, but similar to RSUs. Potential risk of stock going down. Any help would be great. Appreciate it. All right. So Mike is an executive. He's got some executive comp plans. And he's curious on what the heck to do. So, Alan, why don't you explain RSUs? Uh, restricted stock unit. So that is, um, you get, basically you get granted a right to a stock unit at some point in time. And then there's some kind of vesting period, right? Two years, three years, five years, wh- whatever it may be. And, and the thing is, as soon as it vests, it's taxable as compensation. Yeah, it comes right on your like W2. Yeah, right on your W2. I mean, it could have been granted to you for a dollar a share, right? But if it's $10 a share when it vests, you have to pay tax on $10 a share right on your W2. It gets put right on your W2. And, and that's why if, if you're new to these kinds of things, sometimes you'll have pretty high W2s because when these things vest, they're fully taxable at whatever they're at at the time. 
this is why, Mike, most people sell. Because they've already paid the tax. Because they, they can't afford the tax, right? They, they don't have, it's, or, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's like income. You got 100,000 of income, 50,000 of income, 200,000 of income that you, you didn't have any withholding on because it's not dollars, right? It's stock. So that's why you sell it so that you can pay the tax because it's all ordinary income. So it's whatever federal and state tax bracket you're in, that's what you're going to have to pay. So let's say it's worth $10 and you, so you're paying $10 of ordinary income tax, but you owe $5 in tax and people don't have the $5 in tax. So they're yeah. like, okay, well, you know what? Just give me the cash. Right. Because it's already showing up on my W-2. That, that's right. And, 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 you know, the $10, multiply that by 1,000 shares, 1, shares or 2,000 or, or whatever the number is. Or 100,000 shares. It, it, gets, it can be a pretty big number. So that's why people usually sell. Now, in your case, you've got a blackout period where you can't do that. So I understand that. If you then sell right after that, again, it depends whether you need the money to buy, to, to pay for the tax. Let's just say if you need the money, then <laughs> go ahead and sell because you need the money, right? So there might be a little bit of additional ordinary income if, if it went up further from that point. So what he's worried about is that he's already, let's say it's a hundred dollars a share and he has a, a hundred thousand shares. Yeah. Right. right? So it's a big grand, it's a big, big number, yeah. big number. Yeah. And so that, that's a big wallet. Dude. Yeah. That's, that's giant. <laughs> I wish I had Mike's wallet. <laughs> so he's going to have to pay tax on that hundred dollars a share, depending on how many shares that he has Yeah, right there on his W2. It's that's, going to show that's right. up. That's right. But he can't sell the shares until a blackout period. Sure. Right. So if the stock goes from $100 a share to $150 a share from the blackout period, he's going to pay another tax on that $50 increase. That extra increase. From the vesting date. That's right. Not, not the whole thing. Again. Not the whole thing again. Because you already paid tax on the first 100 in your W-2. Right. Right. So, so now let's just say you can afford to pay the tax. And, and if you, you're bullish on the stock, you think the stock's going to go up or at least stay the same, right? If it stays the same, there's actually not much no benefit at all because there's no additional capital gain. But if you think the stock's going to go up and you're pretty confident about that, there's risk, right? Because it might not. But if you can wait a year, then you'll get long-term capital gain on that extra piece, the extra $50 in, in your example. But there's a lot of risk in that. And this is why most people, they, they sell when they vest because they can't afford the tax and they're not willing to take the risk. And then, um, and he's in a similar boat to other people that have uh, RSUs is that he's also participating in employee stock purchase plans, sure. an ESPP. And so basically what that is, is that whatever organization or company that he works for, it's another incentive plan for people to act like owners of the company, right? Hey, we're giving you the opportunity to buy in company stock at a discount. Sure. So he has the ability to purchase company stock at a totally different price than the street. Yeah. So because he's an employee, he can purchase it at a 15% discount versus Al and I or anyone else has to purchase it at full price. Yeah. And furthermore, some of those plans allow you to, to purchase it at the lowest price over the quarter, not even necessarily the closing price. Yeah. You get the 15% discount based on a, a, a moving average. Yeah. It, it just depends upon the plan. Right. But that's, but that could be the case. And that's, that's a good deal, right? Because you got a 15% yeah. locked in return. As long as you're bullish on the company. Right. Right. If you're not bullish on the company, if you think the company might be in trouble, then don't do it because this is an investment, right? But the idea here is a little bit different than RSU because once once you buy it, you have the discount. There's no taxation, 
and until you sell it, if you wait a year, it's going to be long-term capital gains. So that would be advantageous. Again, you'd only do it if you're bullish on the company. Right. Some people take advantage of these plans and then they sell it as soon as they can, even at short-term capital gains, they pay the ordinary income tax because the 15% discount might have been greater than the tax that they have to pay. So there's an arbitrage there. Well, yeah, right. That, or the fact that they think, you know what, this is really shot up. I don't think it's going to stay. Then sell it. Don't worry about the tax cash in what you can. Right. Right. Because if you think about it, Mike, your income, your wages are coming from that over or organization. You got RSUs that are coming, you know, so if you're, if everything is, you know, you know, tied in, yeah. you know, to your, 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 your company. Yeah. You, you, a lot you, of concentration, a lot right? of concentration yeah. there, but that's how you get super rich. If you got the right company in the, yeah. or you can get super poor. <laughs> um, I mean, have you ever seen the smartest guys in the room? Like with Enron? Yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? No. It's kind of like a documentary. I can imagine. And then they're all like, yeah, all these employees are in there and they're like, keep buying stock. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the next scene is like, oh my God, check. <laughs> so I'm not saying this company's Enron. No, no. Um, but, you know. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Show's called Your Money Well. Cichlids and piranhas, Joe's voice, road bikes, and of course, beer in the derails at the end of the episode, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click that Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 and schedule a free financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure can help you identify strategies to create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. This is why Fish Sean Wu is Fish Sean Wu. Can you see my screen? He's got these African cichlids, these pretty colorful fish. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. Are they, I wonder if they're like piranhas where they would if you got in the tank. How big are those things? Are these like I think little they're little. Fish? I think they're little fish. Yeah, well piranhas aren't that big, but they're <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Piranha? I think so. They looked big to me. I mean that was back in the eighties. Well, that's that's Hollywood for you. <laughs> um well seventy-five gallon fish tank. I, yeah. That's pretty pretty big. pretty big. Yeah. I go swimming in it. Mm. With alive. all of his cichlids. <laughs> My voice is shot. I like it. I think it sounds really good this week. Not so high and squeaky. <laughs> Appreciate that. <clears throat> no. You haven't had that, the COVID, have you? No. no you're just, I haven't. Because I'm, you're vegan. I'm pure. <laughs> <laughs> vegan. You know, vegans don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> if you're a good vegan. A good one. Yeah, you're a healthy vegan. Now, I was working out this morning, and yeah. this guy was doing a workout remotely. Okay. So the trainer was in the gym, All right. and he's... I, I've never seen anything like it. Were right? you, you, were, you, were, you were remote? No, I'm not trainer. remote. No. Okay. Another trainer. I'm working out with my trainer. Oh, okay. Got right? it. Right? And then there's another trainer in the gym like looking at an iPad. Oh, okay, got and it. Then, and then, you know, you look in the iPad, there's another guy, and oh. he, he's, all right, well, here, why don't you do some deadlifts? Got it. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay, got it. But the guy wouldn't shut up. 
I would be like, first of all, I could never work out remotely. <laughs> Second of all, this guy was just constantly talking about just it. everything. And, and I'm looking through the iPad, you know, I'd walk by, grab a drink water, and just kind of see. see, see yeah, the other guy, you know, just kind of sit there, bull, bull, bull talking. <laughs> <laughs> what is bull talking? <laughs> you, know, they're just, you know, they're just shooting stuff. Got it. Got and right. I'm like, oh my God, this is just a wasted time. But anyway, I was over here in the conversation. He was like, well, is he a good vegan? I was like, a good vegan? <laughs> what is a good vegan? So anyway. Well, you, yeah, the, the difference is you can eat Oreos and still be a vegan. Got so it. there are good and bad. Oh, that's a bad vegan? That's a bad one. <laughs> good one eats like celery <laughs> celery <laughs> carrots that trainer dude needs to wear headphones <laughs> oh, yes jeez louise the bmc grand fondo all right yeah oh. that's a pretty expensive um road bike there. oh that's cool yeah he's yeah he rides. she throws in the back of his 2017 volkswagen golf sport wagon all track so oh, he can it. ride during his lunch hour right. guaranteed we see ken like cruising down you know like the 101 PCH. Oh, yeah. He's got the bike outfit on. You it, bet. With his little. And he's got a little cooler with his IPAs when he's done. <laughs> right. Um, I always see that little bike jersey. Um, angry bastard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure he's got one of those. Wouldn't be surprised. Yep. Yeah. I can just picture Ken right now just cruising, listening to the little. Okay. With the earbuds. <laughs> okay. Er, what did I say? Arrogant bastard. Did I say something? You said angry bastard. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, of course not. No. Well, you, if you're arrogant, you're angry. I call it Fermont. I know you do. Um, I kind of like that name. I love it. That's, it sounds like a cool place. <laughs> get a road bike. Yeah, get right. my arrogant bastard road jersey and just cruise, man. I can picture it. <laughs> it just sounds like a beautiful place. Right. Like Fremont is kind of sounds hipster. Fermont sounds like. That, that sounds different, doesn't it? It sounds <laughs> so like. badass. Yeah. <laughs> half a dinner. <laughs> That's your half a lunch bill for you. And your... Oh, I got for the big lunches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, IPA lunch. Well, <laughs> IPA lunch. I don't do that. I do have IPA happy hours though. Got it. I, oh. I favor the, um, since I'm in California, I favor the citrus. You know, the kind of the hazy IPAs. Never had one. Yeah, yeah. You would like it until the next day. God. You would love it until the next day. <laughs>